0: Welcome to the Rick Reed Sermon Podcast. Rick serves as the president of Heritage College and Seminary, where he has the joy of preaching God's Word and training the next generation of preachers. The sermons on this podcast are taken from Dr. Reed's preaching ministry in churches, conferences, and at chapel services at Heritage. Let me ask you this, when it comes to the future, when it comes to how you see the future, do you tend to be more of an optimist or a pessimist? In other words, when you look ahead, when you look at what's coming down the road, do you tend to think that we are on an upward trajectory as a society, as a world, or do you think we're more on a downward spiral? Okay. Do you think things are getting better or things are getting worse? I was thinking of having you vote, but I'll I'll let you just vote in your heart. Okay. Are you are you more on the optimist side of the scale or more on the pessimist side of the scale when it comes to the future? Now, if you're more on the optimist side of the scale, you tend to be hopeful that uh, you know that the economy will recover, that the environment issues that we have will be addressed. That international tensions will be de-escalated. That advances in technology will actually bring breakthroughs in our quality of life. They'll help us. So you tend to hang on to that. You hope for that, right? If you're more on the pessimist side of the ledger, you tend to think that we humans are not going to be very good at fixing the problems that we have in our world. You're not all that hopeful that we're going to solve the environmental issues. You're not all that excited or hopeful that the the economy is going to go strong. In fact, I heard one time that pessimists get that way by financing optimists. You know, they get tired of all that. So, you know, you don't tend to think it's all going to go out well. and, And you're not that convinced that peace talks are going to lead to a just and lasting peace. And you tend to think that advances in technology are going to fall into the wrong hands and be used for the wrong purposes. Now, whether or not you are more by nature an optimist or a pessimist when it comes to the future, listen to this. If you are a Christian, the Bible calls you to be a blend of both. Because the Bible's view of the future does not allow you to be simply optimistic Or simply pessimistic. The Bible's view of the future calls you to a realistic blend of both. Because the Bible says as we move towards the future, both our personal future and our global future, that we're headed for some hard times. There will be dark days. And in fact, it will get darker. But then the Bible says, but hang on, hang on. Jesus says, I've overcome the world. And so the darkness is going to lead to a dawn. There will be a glorious dawn. And at the end of the story, at the end of history, things will be gloriously bright for those who are in Christ. But because things are going to get darker before the dawn, the Bible says we need to be people of courage. We need to be courageous Christians. We can't cower in fear, and we can't run from all the challenges. No, we need to be courageous Christians. And the kind of courage that we need is not some fleeting, occasional, sporadic version of courage. No, we're going to need a kind of courage that is strong and stable and sturdy. We're going to need a kind of courage that lasts and lasts, and lasts, and that even outlasts the challenges. Essentially, we're going to need a courage that perseveres. And this morning, that's what I want to talk to you about. Having a courage that perseveres, or finding the courage to persevere. Today, as we continue our study in 2 Timothy, we're going to see where does a person find that courage that not only lasts for a moment, but lasts for a lifetime, in the challenges you face in your personal future, in your own story, how do you find courage to persevere? And in the challenges we will face as a world, how will we find courage to persevere? This morning, I wanted to open up a passage of scripture with you, and, and I want with you to hear a message that my heart needs and I believe your heart needs about the courage to persevere. So can I invite you to take a Bible and join me again in 2 Timothy We are working our way through 2 Timothy, and today we come to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We're going to cover all 17 verses today in chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. If you're using the blue Bibles that we have here, both in the sanctuary and in the fellowship center, in the blue Bibles, please grab one. If you don't have your own Bible, take one of those and turn to page 843, 843. Today we're going to be in 2 Timothy 3, and I want to talk with you about the courage to persevere. And listen, this is something that I'm needing, and I'm guessing probably some of you here are thinking you could use it too. Courage to persevere. But before we look, let me pray and invite God's Spirit once again to meet us right here, right now, right in this text. Let's pray. Father, as we individually have our own stories and we look ahead and probably almost everyone in this room has something on the horizon that is frightening or fearful or dark. And then, Lord, as we look as a church, and we look at the world in which we live, we see signs that around us that are ominous. We live in an unsettled world, a world where there is much pain and brokenness and darkness. And so we want to be courageous people. We don't want to bend and break under the strain of it all. We want you to stand us up straight, But, Father, we acknowledge that that kind of courage is your gift to us, and we need it. And I'm asking today that your word would be used to strengthen our hearts with the courage to persevere. And I pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen. The opening verses in 2 Timothy 3 tells you a little bit about what's coming in the future. Okay, This this gives you a glimpse of where our world is headed. And I need to tell you that the opening verses may seem rather dark, rather pessimistic. But actually, they are meant to give you a very realistic view of what's ahead for us as a society. Paul writes to his young son in the faith, Timothy, and he tells him, especially in verses 1 to 9, something that Timothy needed to know. And listen, you need to know. I need to know. What Paul is going to say in verses 1 to 9 of 2 Timothy 3 is this, that in the last days, Christians will face Terrible times. Okay, In the last days, Christians will face tough times. Terrible times. That's what Paul is going to tell us. In fact, look at verse 1. You'll see it for yourself. Verse 1. But mark this. There will be terrible times in the last days. But mark this, he says, by the way, uh, the, the Greek that Paul uses there, for mark this, literally says, know this, but know this. In other words, God does not want you to be unaware or uninformed about what's headed. Where we're headed as a society, as a world. And he says, mark this, know this, there will be terrible times in the last days. Now that raises a question, right? The question is this, well, when are the last days? Are we in the last days? Are the last days still ahead of us? Think about that question. So are we in the last days or are the last days still to come? Now, I would submit to you that the Bible's answer to that question is, yes, we are in the last days and the last days are still to come. You say, well, you can't have it both ways, Pastor Rick. It's got to be one or the other. So how how do you get both? Well, let me show you. On one hand, the Bible says that the last days have already begun. In fact, get this. They began back in New Testament times. I know that because in Acts chapter 2, on the day that the church was born, the day of Pentecost, you remember the story? The Spirit of God came and descended on those early believers, 120 of them, and they began to speak out the praises of God in other languages, and people gathered and said, what's up with these folks? Maybe they've had a little too much to drink, and Peter gets up, and he speaks to the crowd, and in... uh, Acts chapter two, verses 16 and 17. Listen to what Peter says. He's explaining what's going on and he says, No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. Joel wrote centuries before this date. This is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And then he says, In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy and your young men and your will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. So Peter is saying, hey, listen, I'll tell you what's going on here. It's what Joel said would happen hundreds of years ago. It's happening now, where in the last days, God will pour out his spirit. So Peter is saying, hey, the last days have arrived. Now, that was 2,000 years ago. So in other words, the last days began in New Testament times. And the Bible says the last days continue until the last day when Christ comes back to rule and reign. The day. So in between that are the last days. So in one sense, we are in the last days. And in another sense, the last of the last days is still ahead. We don't know how far ahead, but it's still coming. How that applies to us, if you go back to our text, verse 1, when, when Paul says to Timothy, there will be terrible times in the last days, we can know that this applies to the days in which we live. Because we are in the last days and we're headed towards the last of the last days. Well, you say, well, we'll be so terrible about the last days. Well, in verses 2 to 9, Paul goes on to tell Timothy two terrible trends that will happen more and more in the last days. The first of these terrible trends shows up in verses 2 through 5. Let me read it for you. Look at verses 2 to 5. Paul writes this, there'll be terrible times in the last day. Verse 2, people will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful Essentially, what Paul is saying, one of the terrible things about the last days, one of the things that makes it terrible is that there will be a lot of what we could call misdirected love. One of the marks of the last days is misdirected love. Love that's kind of going in the wrong direction. I don't know if you noticed, but as I read verses two to four, the word love showed up a bunch of times. In fact, the word love shows up six times in those few verses. But here's the deal. It's the wrong kind of love. It's misdirected love. Look at verse 2. People will be lovers of what? Lovers of themselves. Well, it's good to have love, but it's kind of directed in the wrong way, right? Lovers of themselves. Then look at the next one. Lovers of money. Lovers of themselves. Lovers of money. Look at verse 3. Begins by saying, without love. The word there that Paul uses for love speaks of family love. It's the word that often is used of Families and the kind of natural affection. Some translations say without natural affection. So like people should love their own, but they don't. And then a little later there in verse three, it says, not lovers of the good. One of the marks of the last time is that people will have a perverted love for what's evil. Seems weird, doesn't it? But that's what he's saying. They don't love the good. They actually love what's not good. And then in verse four, if you go down halfway, it says lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of God. People are looking for love in all the wrong places. So you got all this misdirected love going in the wrong way, and it leads to a bunch of unlovely attitudes and actions. Did you? As I was reading that, wasn't that a depressing list? Look at that, verse 2. People will be boastful, proud. You see, when you love yourself, then you just kind of vaunt yourself. Abusive, disobedient to parents. They don't have a natural love. Ungrateful, unholy. Verse 3, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal. Verse 4, treacherous, rash, conceited. Let me ask you, do you see any of those qualities around you in our world? Anything on that list kind of remind you of what you're reading in the daily papers or what you're seeing around you? Probably all of us would say, yeah, I, I see those things all the time. Someone might say, yeah, but haven't, that all, haven't those things always been around I mean, as long as there's been people, haven't there been boastful, proud? And I would say, yeah, they have. Sadly, since our first parents disobeyed God, we've, as a race, have been marked by a lot of those things. But as we get closer to the last of the last days, those things will get more and more entrenched in our world. In fact, here's the sad thing. What happens is that those terrible qualities are no longer just sheepishly tolerated. They become brazenly celebrated. Like some of those things I read are now seen as expressions of human freedom. Like almost noble to be this way. People saying, I'm living out how I want to live out. Really, it's just a descent into darkness. And Paul says, listen, as we get closer to the end, it's going to be some really misdirected love. But he's not done yet. He goes on in verses six to nine to give Timothy a second Terrible trend in the last times, verses 6 to 9. If the first one is misdirected love, the second trend that he highlights, verses 6 to 9, is what you could call malignant religion. Malignant religion. People don't get less religious, just the religion goes bad. Let me read, beginning in verse 5. He says, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Form of godliness would be the trappings of religion, right? Right? But denying its power, there's no life, there's no vitality. So you got religious people, but they don't have life, he says. And then verse 6, Paul begins to talk about the religious leaders that will populate the last times. They're not, they're not a happy lot here. Verse 6, they, speaking of these leaders, they are the kind who worm their way into homes and gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires, always learning but never able to acknowledge the truth. Just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, Janus and Jambres we think were uh, Egyptian sorcerers back in the time when Moses confronted Pharaoh. So just as Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so also these men, these false teachers, opposed the truth. Men of depraved minds, who, as far as the faith is concerned, are rejected. But they will not get very far because, as in the case of those men, as in Janice and Jambres, their folly will be clear to everyone. So Paul says, Hey, Timothy, you know what you can expect as we get closer to the last of the last days? Religion goes malignant, and there will be religious leaders who are just posers, they're imposters, they're deceivers. And a lot of them will have these really evil motives. They'll try to gain control over people. And verse 8, they'll have depraved minds. Their minds aren't thinking along God's way. They got their own thoughts going. The good news, verse 9, is that eventually truth comes out and they will not get very far because their folly will be clear to everyone. Ultimately, the game's over for these guys. But for a time, it says they will gain a following, Verse six says they gain control over weak-willed women who are loaded down with sins and swayed by all kinds of evil desires. So they prey on vulnerable people. And by the way, do you know who's the most vulnerable to malignant religion? One's in verse seven. Look at verse seven. Here's the people that are mostly vulnerable. Those who are always learning, but never able to acknowledge the truth. Hey, listen, one of the worst places to be is to be a perpetual spiritual seeker. There are a lot of people in our world who are always learning. They're always open to something new, but they're never able to land on the truth. If there's a new age thing coming up, it's like, well, that's kind of interesting. Let's check that out. There's a new trend here. Well, that, that's kind of cool. Let's try this. And those folks are really vulnerable to these posers and religious imposters. So let's put it all together. Paul is saying in the last times, Christians will face some terrible times. And those terrible times will be marked by misdirected love and malignant religion. So now maybe you hear this and you go, okay, so what are we supposed to do? Like, are we supposed to just sit around, maybe circle the wagons, gather together as Christians and just complain a lot? Let's just complain about how the world is going to the dogs, how it used to be better way back, you know, when I was a kid. Shall we just complain a lot? Shall we just sink into pessimism? And the Bible would say, no, not at all. In fact, this is not a time to complain. This is a time to be courageous. This is not a time to become a pessimist. This is a time to have the courage to persevere. Because that's what courageous Christians do in terrible times. You know what they do? They persevere. In fact, that comes out in the next verses. If you look with me at verses 10 to 13, we'll find a second thing that's important for us to know. Yes, in the last days, Christians will face terrible times. So brace yourself. But now in verses 10 to 13, Paul says something else. And he's going to say by his own example and by the example of other believers that courageous Christians persevere in terrible times. They don't just become pessimistic. They don't just give up. They don't just sit around and complain and curse the darkness. No, they are people who gather courage. Courageous Christians persevere in terrible times. Let me show you how that comes out. Look at verse 10, please. Paul says, you, however, Timothy, you, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, my faith, my patience, my love, endurance, persecutions, and sufferings. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. I endured. See what Paul is telling Timothy? He's going, hey, Timothy, just remember this. Not all spiritual teachers are posers. Timothy, you know me. You know my personal life, Timothy. You know my my teaching, he says there in verse 10. And you know my way of life. Timothy, you've lived up close with me. You know that I practice what I preach. Timothy, you know who I am. And you know my purpose. Did you see that in verse 10? You know my way of life, my purpose. You know, Timothy, I'm not in this for money. And I'm not in this to control other people. And I'm not in this for myself. I'm in this for Christ. And I'm giving my life for others. You know that, Timothy. And then he says, hey, Timothy, and you know my perseverance. You know that I've endured. And then he goes on to say, look at verse 10. You know my faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, and suffering. Timothy, you know how I've persevered through tough times. He mentions in verse 11, he says, what kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, the persecutions I endured. He's referencing there some things that Timothy knew firsthand. When Paul went to these cities that are in modern day Turkey, it's called Asia Minor back then. He went to Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra. He had to endure some really terrible times. You can read about it in Acts 14. Acts 14. One of the, I won't steal it for you, but one of the things that happens while he's there is some people surround Paul and they drag him outside the city and then they pummel him with rocks till they think he's dead and maybe he was dead we don't know but what we do know is that he got up again in fact it's interesting in verse 11 Paul says this but the Lord rescued me out of all of them Do you see that look at that. he says the persecutions I endured yet the Lord rescued me from all of them see he's saying Timothy you know my perseverance I faced some terrible times, Timothy, but courageous Christians persevere in terrible times. I endured it, Timothy. I didn't give in. I didn't get pessimistic. I didn't complain. I didn't walk away. Now, the reason Paul tells Timothy this is because Paul knows that Timothy is going to have to do the same thing. And by the way, Paul writes this in Scripture because God knows you will have to do the same thing. If you're going to be a courageous Christian, you will have to persevere in some terrible times. Your own personal terrible times and maybe for our society, maybe for our country, maybe for our world. I know that because look what he says in verse 12. Verse 12, he goes on to say, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted while evil men And imposters go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Let me ask you a question. In verse 12, where he says, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Let me ask you, like, how many of us do you think the word everyone includes? Like 10% of us, when he says everyone, he means 10%? Now you say, well, of course not. When he says everyone, he means everyone. Well, does that include you then? Well, yeah, it does. Does that include me? Well, yes, it does. In other words, courageous Christians have to persevere in terrible times. By the way, we have brothers and sisters in Christ around the world who have understood verse 12 for a long time. We have many Christian brothers and sisters in different parts of this globe who daily have to endure personal and difficult, terrible times. Places in the world... Where they, are, where they get pushed back for their faith and where they are persecuted for their faith. Linda and I will probably meet some of them this week. Some of you have come from countries here. Some of you have come to Canada from countries where you know firsthand that if you're a Christian in the place that you came from, it can cost you dearly. See, Christians around the world have known this, that if you're going to be courageous, you're going to have to persevere in terrible times. But here's the thing. We're catching up a little bit late on this, we in North America. It seems for many years, we've been given a bit of a pass. But things are changing, aren't there? There there is beginning to be a clamping down on those who speak up for Christ. In our society, there's becoming legal actions taken against Christian groups. And we shouldn't be surprised. Christians around the world have felt this for many, many years. And now maybe it's our turn. And one of the hard that led me to speak on this book is I do not want us as believers to be woefully unprepared if God allows us as believers to go through very difficult times before Jesus comes back. I love Barbara Rainey's line where she says, life wouldn't be so hard if we didn't expect it to be so easy. And I think sometimes we say, you know, the Christian life wouldn't be so hard if we didn't expect it to be so easy. And suddenly when things come our way that are hard and hurtful, we go, wait a second, I didn't sign up for this. And the Bible would say, well, of course you did. Because everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Paul knew that. Timothy knew that. And Christians throughout time have known that. One of the reasons uh, when we uh, put out this little study guide, Courageous Christian, one of the reasons we put biographies in it is because we wanted you to read some stories of some men and women who have been courageous in terrible times. Let me just tell you one of the stories that you'll read for yourself. I'll I'll fill it in a bit more. One of the chapters, you'll read the story of a man named Dietrich Bonhoeffer. You know that name, Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer? Dietrich Bonhoeffer was a German pastor who was living when Adolf Hitler rose to power. And within two days of Hitler coming to power, Dietrich Bonhoeffer went on the radio and said to the German people, we must be careful, we are heading in the wrong direction. And they cut him off on air, they cut him off mid-sentence. And he began to get a lot of heat for standing up against the Fuhrer. Well, the heat got intense, and at one point he left for London and then came to the United States, to New York, because he was invited to teach at a seminary. And as soon as he got to the seminary, he wrote a friend and said this, I've made a terrible mistake in coming to the United States. I'm a German and I must be with the German people. If I expect to be part of the rebuilding of the church on the far side of this crisis, I must live with the church during this crisis. So get this, even though he was persona non grata in Germany, he went back and he spoke up. And he actively was involved in a resistance against Adolf Hitler and he was arrested. And he spent several years in prison, and one month before the Nazi regime crumbled in a concentration camp in Germany, Dietrich Bonhoeffer was led to the gallows. The doctor who watched, the German doctor, wrote in his journal, he said, I've never seen a man like him. He knelt down on the ground and prayed fervently, and then he stood up and walked to the noose, a man completely at peace. And within a few seconds, his life was gone. You know, you read a story like that, and you go, that guy didn't have to do that. Like he had a posh teaching job in New York. But Something inside of him said, the people, my people, are going through terrible times. I can't just sit here. I need to be with them. Listen, courageous Christians down throughout history have not said I want it to happen to somebody else. They said, I want to be there. Because they persevere in terrible times. And maybe you hear all that and you go, yeah, but I'm not Dietrich Bonhoeffer. And I'm certainly not the Apostle Paul. I don't have like that kind of courage. I don't have this persevering courage. Where do you get that? And I would say, well, hey, we've been talking about that, haven't we? And we've already seen that courage comes from God. It's a gift of God. 2 Timothy 1.7, God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of self-discipline. And then we saw in chapter 2 that this gift of the components of courage comes to us as we are in Christ. Because in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul says, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It's as you are in Christ, his life becomes courageous through your life. And then that courage deepens as you look at other courageous people like Paul or like Bonhoeffer. But in our passage today, Paul tells Timothy the secret of having persevering courage. And that's where I want to finish up today. Would you like courage that's not just a flash in the pan, not just for a moment? Would you like courage that endures and perseveres? Well, Paul tells Timothy where you get that in the last verses. I want you to see them for yourself. Verses 14 to 17. Let me read them for you. Paul says this, But as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of, because you know those from who you learned it, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now look, at here's the next verse, one of the most famous verses in the Bible. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Hey, we often read those verses about Scripture and we read them in isolation. But do you get the context in which Paul wrote them? He's talking about having the courage to persevere. And now what he says in verses 14 to 17 is this. Courageous Christians persevere in the scriptures at all times he's saying listen courageous Christians persevere in terrible times that's true but the reason they persevere in terrible times is because they persevere in the scriptures at all times that's the secret Timothy you stay in the scriptures you persevere in the scriptures at all times and it will strengthen you to persevere through terrible times Did you see verse 14? It says, but as for you, continue. There's the idea of persevering in scripture. Continue in what you've learned. The word continue is the same Greek word that's translated abide in John 15, where Jesus says, abide in me, abide in my word, remain in me. So in other words, if you want to sustain courage, you have to remain in scripture. If, if you want to be able to hold on in tough times, you need to hold to, tight to the Scripture at all times. you got to continue. And Paul, even in these verses, highlights three ways that you can persevere in Scripture. Let me show them to you. You want to persevere in Scripture so you can persevere in tough times? Here's three things he says to do. Here's how you persevere in Scripture. First one, learn Scripture, learn scripture from trustworthy people. Learn the Scriptures from trustworthy people. Verse 14, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, look at it next, because you know those from who you learned it. He says, hey, Timothy, hang on to scripture. You know who taught it to you. You know they were trustworthy. So who taught Timothy the scriptures? Well, if you know the story, it started with his grandma, Lois, and his mother, Eunice. From infancy, in fact, that's the next words, verse 15, he says, and how from infancy you have known the Holy Scripture. Like your mom and your grandma taught you the Scripture. Timothy, you know your mother, you know your grandma, you know their lives. And then Timothy, as he became a believer, there was the church in Lystra that taught him. They said, this guy is sharp, and they built into his life. But then most of all, perhaps the Apostle Paul mentored Timothy. And now he's saying, hey, Timothy, hang on to Scripture and learn it from trustworthy people. So I would say to you, you want to gain perseverance in Scripture so you can gain perseverance in life? Learn the Scripture from trustworthy people. Look for people who handle the Word of God correctly. We saw that in chapter 2, verse 15. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the Word of truth. you got to listen to people who are really trying to handle the Word of God correctly. And then listen, listen to people who are trustworthy enough to cut it straight, who tell it to you straight. Look at chapter 4 and verse 3, if you will. Paul says, the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Listen, if you want to learn from trustworthy people, don't go for teachers that tickle your ears, right? Go for those who go for your heart. Go for those who go for your mind. And go for those who go for your will that are saying to you, you got to go with the scripture. I'm not telling you just what you want to hear. I'm telling you what God wants you to hear. Learn the scripture from trustworthy people. That's the first. And then if we go on verse 15, here's a second way to persevere in Scripture. Not only learn the Scripture from trustworthy people, but believe the Scriptures for salvation. Don't just learn it, but believe it and believe it for your own salvation. Look at verse 15, please. And how from infancy you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that all? He's saying the scriptures make you wise for salvation. The scriptures tell you about salvation, how to get right with God. But get this, it's not enough just to know that because he says, look at the end of verse 15. Wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. In other words, hey, Timothy, believe it. You've got to put your faith in it. You have to believe what it says about Christ. You see, the scriptures, even the Old Testament, pointed to the Messiah. And the New Testament helped us to see the Messiah was Christ. He's the Savior. Paul says, Timothy, listen, hang on to that, Timothy. You believed. You see, the faith that believes for salvation is not a momentary belief. Saving faith is not just a momentary thing. It's a persevering faith. So he says, hey, keep believing that, Timothy. Keep believing what the scripture tells you. So learn the scripture from trustworthy people. Believe the scripture for salvation, and then finally, verses sixteen and seventeen, he tells them this: Let the scriptures equip you for service. Let the scriptures equip you for service. Look at verse fourteen or verse sixteen, please. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. He starts off by saying, hey, Timothy, let the scripture shape you because the scripture is God breathed. Did you see that? Verse 16, all scripture, not just part of it, all scripture is God breathed. God spoke this out. By the way, that's what makes the Bible different than every other book in the world. This is the book that God breathed out. He worked through people, human authors in their styles and their personalities, but he spoke through them in a way that when they wrote, this was his word. This is one of the strongest statements in all the Bible for the authority and inspiration of the Scriptures. All Scriptures God-breathed. Now, you may be hearing, and go, well, listen, any book can claim it's from God, right? So how do you know that the claim is true? How do you know that the Scripture is really God-breathed? I know it says it is, but how do you know that? And I would say, if you're struggling with that, if you're struggling, with it, is this book really God's book? Here's some things to remember. There is no other book in the world other than the Bible That is so abundantly documented. There is no book in antiquity that has all the documentation. We can trace the manuscripts all the way back to the beginning. So that we know that what we're reading today is what was written hundreds or thousands of years ago. Centuries ago. Millennia ago. In other words, there is no book in antiquity that has the ample documentation. Check it out for yourself. Whether it's the Dead Sea Scrolls or the New Testament uh, papyri. Whether it's the unseals. We have... Thousands of manuscripts. There's no book in the, in the world that has that kind of attestation. So it has ample documentation. And, and then here's another thing about the Bible. It is, it is historically accurate. I mean, this book has been shown archaeologically and historically to be a reliable guide to history. It's been proven true in the areas we can test it, so we know it's true in the areas that we can't test it empirically. And then it's, it's prophetically precise, The Bible contains so many prophecies that have been shown to be true. Hundreds of years before something happened, the Bible said it would happen. And then hundreds of years later, it would happen. What other book can say that? And then here's another one. The Bible is globally influential. It is always the bestseller. It's the world's bestseller. And it has changed the lives of people around the world. So you hang on to the Bible and you let it shape you. You say, well, how do I let it shape me? Well, look at verse 16. It does four things for us. Scripture is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. In other words, the Bible teaches us, right? It tells us what's true. And then the Bible rebukes us. It tells us kind of where we went off. And then the Bible corrects us. It tells us how to get back where we should be. And then the Bible trains us. It tells us how to stay there, how to grow into that. And the result is verse 17. So that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. When it says man of God, it's just talking about a person. So that the believer may be equipped. Now let me ask you, equipped for what in this context? Equipped to persevere courageously in tough times. See, the scriptures will give that to you. Listen, I can give you personal testimony. Since I've been a boy, I've spent virtually every morning reading this book. And some of you could say the same thing. And if I have any stability in my life, I would say it's because the Word of God keeps building that in. So let me ask you how many days of the week do you need courage to persevere? How about seven? Then how many days of the week do you need to persevere in Scripture? How about seven? You see, you could put it this way. Those who persevere in the scriptures at all times will gain the courage to persevere through terrible times. That's the way it works. If you're not in this book, if you're not drinking deeply, if you're not letting it change you, then you are trying to do life in your own wisdom and your own strength. And can I be honest with you? You don't have what it takes. Life will overwhelm you. Life will crush you. But God can strengthen you and he strengthens you as you turn to him and you listen and you study his word and you read it and you believe it and you hang on to it. And suddenly you find in your life a sturdiness you didn't know you had because it's not from you. It's a gift from God to Christians who persevere in his word. So as we close today, I'm closing with a very straight up challenge. If you are not a believer who is abiding in God's word, if this book is not a part of your daily regimen, I'm asking you today, do you need courage to persevere? And if you say yes, then I'm asking you, why don't you persevere starting today, starting tomorrow, every day, opening up this word and saying, God, please speak to me from it. See, those who persevere in the scripture at all times gain the courage to persevere in terrible times. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would help us as believers to be courageous believers, courageous Christians. I know that there are some here today that are walking through their own version of a terrible time. Life has been unkind and there are situations that are, are ominous and are painful and are crushing. And then, Lord, we look on the horizon of history and we see signs of trouble almost everywhere we look. But I'm asking, Lord, that rather than hunker down and hide, you would allow us to find new strength and courage to stand and to persevere for Christ. Lord, you Christians have done this around the world for, for centuries. And maybe it's our turn and maybe it's our time. So would you give us what we need from your word to be those courageous Christians that you want us to be? And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For more information on Heritage College and Seminary, visit the school's website at discoverheritage.ca. To stay connected with the Reeds, visit their website at rickandlindareed.com.